Oh, oh, one more thing. Yes, Just One More Thing, a podcast all about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about How to Dial a Murder. Originally broadcast April 15th, 1978. Directed by James Frawley, written by Tom Lazarus, Anthony Lawrence, and starring Nicole Williamson, Kim Cattrall, and Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we're joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time around, we're welcoming back acclaimed mystery author, Glenn Eric Hamilton. But... Before we bring Glenn on, hey, RJ, would you like to play a word association game? Uh, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm going to start. Ready? Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Mother. Father. Okay. Father. Mother. All right. Uh, plot summary. Nicole Williamson is Dr. Eric Mason, a behavioral psychologist whose therapy method is to get people to yell things in an auditorium, then deny them lunch. Truly a landmark technique. But when it's time for the est steam doctor to work through his own personal problems, what's the prescription? Murder! You see, Dr. Mason's recently deceased wife, who he probably also killed, was having an affair with his business partner, so the good doctor turns to the deadliest weapons known to mankind. Vicious trained dogs and movie trivia. All it takes is yelling one of the most famous spoilers in film history to make two Dobermans rip out a guy's throat. Who knew? When Columbo's deep love of dogs leads him to suspect more than just a random animal attack, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to see through the doctor's racket and make this case go clear. Oh, also, uh, Kim Cattrall's in the guest house. All right, Glenn, (laughs) welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. Great to talk to you again. Uh, First off... um, Congratulations on the new book. It's the third in the series, right? Yeah, third in the third in the yeah third in the Van Shaw mystery thriller series. Uh, it's been been well received, gotten Good. gotten great reviews, and uh, and off and I'm I'm done with book launch tours for the time being, which means I get to rest and and just uh, you know write another one. And yeah. start getting a number four. Come on, <laughs> right? <laughs> Strap yourself back to the typewriter. Come on, let's go. We got a pipeline here. Well, good. Um, well, uh, thanks for coming back. And also, uh, we, we gave you some options for stuff to do. Why did you uh, pick this one of the ones we haven't done yet? Yeah, this, this it's funny. This is not considered usually one of the, the, the top Columbo episodes. Which I'm but surprised. I've, I've fond- Watching it, I enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah. Yeah, and but I've got a lot of fondness in my heart for it. Some of it is just that I think Nicole Williamson, you know, it, it, personality flaws aside, his own and the characters, and we can get into that. Well, um, I don't know. It, I, I want to hear about that because I don't know a lot about the guy beyond a couple of films, and that's it. So I would, yeah. Right. Well, he was he was an extraordinarily um, uh, lauded actor early in his career. I mean, he was a favorite of Samuel Beckett. He was a favorite of John Osborne, many playwrights at the time. You know, oh. his contemporaries were like Ian McKellen, Albert Finney, oh, um, wow. Anthony Hopkins. You know, he worked with all, all of these, these fellows in the early 60s uh, coming up. Uh, and of all of them, he's the one who didn't get a knighthood. So that'll kind of tell oh. you. Something. Oh, gosh. Like, okay. He, he, well, all right. He, he, he torpedoed his own career many times. Oh. Um, just his behavior is very mercurial. Mm-hmm. He would throw tantrums. He would stalk off stage. He would do all manner of things. And um, and and so I, I may be I may be you know uh, uh, over egging it a little bit, but he he was one of those guys whose personality just kept getting in the way of his talent. 
you know, oh, and okay. that 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 said, I'm a little you know, sad because I didn't know he's, that he's, about the guy. I'm a little yeah, sad. That, that you know, here I think he's a he's a wonderful match for Peter Falk, both both physically, you know, because he's so tall and right. blonde, right? Uh, but also just because he can really hold his own in those one on one scene, and it and it sort of shows is we've got a very small cast in this episode. You know, there's just a few other characters, and uh, to to serve a purpose, and really the two of them going at it. And uh, so I, I, I like this episode for that. I also like it because it possibly has one of the most horrible ways to die. I can imagine. Oh, oh, I, I agree with you. This is out of pretty much the entire series. This is definitely up there. If not the most uh, terrible uh, death scene, just in terms of imagining what that must've been. This is, this is one of the most gruesome murders in the show. I, I guess I would put it with the guy being ground up in the garbage disposal thing. Right, the most right. dangerous match, but I mean, th- this might be, this is probably worse though because the guy actually dies from it immediately. But he, yeah, gets ripped apart by Dobermans. Yeah, yeah, and screaming, and, 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 and yeah, yeah. Given that the the the, the, vil- the villain is a guy who has this, uh, from what we you know, Sandy, he's, he's obviously got a control mania. You know, yes. it's his whole it's his whole shtick. Yeah, right. He has a very tight. If he has emotions at all, he has a very tight mind on him but to just you know to decide to kill ostensibly his best friend in the most gruesome way possible <laughs> right is like okay that's that's telling you know? and then and then as it's happening he's hearing it on the telephone at his doctor's i mean we'll get into this a bit more hearing it on the telephone happening in the doctor's office and smiling at it yeah it's just like oh my god it's horrible it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. he, he. Of all, the, you know, all, all the Columbo villains are are narcissists and egomaniacs. I mean, that's why we love them so much. Um, but he's he's one who may authentically be crazy. He might actually be insane, and I think oh, that's why okay. I have a, a bit of a fondness for this episode too. He does he does things that are not in his own interest, just because he's he's such a maniac for control. Right. Yeah. I mean, actually, and and. Um... I alluded to it a bit in my uh, summary, uh, but this character is very much based on uh, a lot of uh, movements, a lot of uh, self-help kind of things that were uh, especially very big in California in the 1970s. Um, but like, it's very much like the Werner Erhard-esque thing, just wanting to yes. control people and just using the weird terminology and telling people... Yeah, so it, it's interesting that he has a lack of control himself. It, it's yeah, it's just a really, really interesting character. And I, I'm surprised to think that people don't think this is one of the better ones. Cause it, it's a very good episode. I think just because of him alone, that character and the way he's played is, is yeah, it's very good. And, and who better to actually... take down than a guy who won't let you go to the bathroom or have lunch. Right. right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to, trying to figure out with him sitting on stage with his Doberman pinchers on either side of him, if that was meant to recall an actual specific individual. Cause it, it's such a striking and bizarre image to be in this half, more than half empty auditorium addressing folks from a stage from what is effectively like a throne. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. surrounded by your killer dogs. <laughs> yeah, which which makes me wonder, like, um, if if the writers of this did have some sort of direct experience with, uh, the whole est landmark education movement back then. Oh, do you think because... Lisa was in the audience? Lisa. Oh, is that the character from that one episode? From uh, Bye Bye Sky High. IQ yes. Murder Case. Oh my yeah. god. Oh, right. right. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. I bet Lisa was in the audience. Everything. Just drinking it yeah. Up. Which I was a little disappointed. Actually, She's yeah. Still a target. 
I thought about it because it would it would have been nice if they had in her uh, laundry list of the uh, different things she'd been through. She would have mentioned the Institute for Life Control. That would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> if she had listed that. Nice crossover there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was a couple years before, a couple seasons before, but it would have been nice somehow. To, yeah. I, I love imagining some of these Columbo villains as cellmates, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, or just like a weird continuity <laughs> between all of them somehow. Yes. They form a revenge squad. Yeah, <laughs> the, the old, old Colombo revenge squad. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, sin, the sinister six of the Colombo set. Yes, exactly. Oh, that, would be, that would be so good. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Hey, folks, in the comments for this one, tell us who the sinister six would be to organize against Colombo. I, I want to play thrown, that game, too. I'm going to chime in for that. When their cases get thrown out... In the first phases of the court uh, <laughs> things, we're like, "What? This is terrible!" But they still hate this little detective enough to go I after. I feel him. like I feel like both George Hamilton killers would be in there. Oh yeah, no, there's like a younger George Hamilton and older George Hamilton. Right. <laughs> They're just there. or maybe all the all the psychologists. How many psychologists have there been? We'll just get them all to team up. Yeah, there's it. a team of psychologists. There's a team of local TV hosts. Right. Yeah. Right? So it's like those are the two big ones. Like that, the guys are going to make me make me do this. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a project. It's an end of summer project. Or we can just if we just say it on the show, we've got obsessive fans. Who Hopefully, will do it, so. that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. I'm a lazy man, John. I'm like, like you, <laughs> the ten of you who listen to this thing, go do this, figure this out, please. But what a ten! What a ten! No, there are great ten people. There are great ten people. They've got internet access. God bless them. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. A lot of them, a lot of them live inside. They're good people. Yeah. I, yes. I did wonder in the in the auditorium scene where he's drawing on the on the chalkboard. Is he just a frustrated football coach? You know, it's just all X's and boxes <laughs> and lines and yeah. Football's a game of control. There we go. Uh, so maybe we... I just made that up. Oh, it is kind of. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, I thought I had something oh, to else. Oh, go back. I, I, right, to go back to the episode. That's yeah. cool. We can we can walk back a bit if you want to talk about oh, sure. uh, about Williams <clears throat> Williamson being kind of a, a pill. Yeah, because I don't know uh, a lot about this, so I, I'd love to find out. I'd love to know more about this. Well, I'm looking up, of course, Columbo file a case book by uh, Mark Dewidziak. If okay. you can find a copy, please get one. And uh, you know, he he has a little interviews sometimes with the uh, with the people who are on the shows. Patrick McGowan always being a great interview Williamson being the opposite. Here's what he said about his appearance on the show. Oh boy. I, I don't really remember that much about it. I was getting divorced and I had to have the money. It was one of those things. It was okay. You remember much more about it than I do. That was about 10 years ago. I'm sorry. Jesus. Wow. Well, yeah, all all that sidesteps his um, his reputation for the bottle, which was already oh. in, in the 70s considerable oh, yeah. um, and, and, and continued into later life. You know, and, you know, again, not to speak ill of the dead. He's he's been gone for a few years now. But, right. you know, re- re- reportedly that was that was a, a, a challenge of what which Nicole you would get on which day who oh. would show up. Uh. But he does such a good job. in this. So he, may, so he, he may not actually remember he he's good at working past that though because he's very 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 good in this episode and his his interplay with the Falk is just yeah it, it's one of the better ones I think I've seen. 
if we have if we have time at the end, there was a fellow um, from a British production company who had a story about Nicole Williamson uh, fil- during the filming of Return to oh, Lonesome no, Dove. We've got time now. Um, go ahead. Oh, he's in that. We got, oh. Okay. Yeah, we got time make, now. Go now. Oh no. Go ahead. No, please do. So he he was cast in the early '90s. He was cast in the TV miniseries Return to Lonesome Dove, and he they flew him out to to Butte, Montana, and they set him up at the hotel. And, you know, the driver said he was acting odd. That's all oh, he would say. No. He was acting odd. And so the, 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 uh, the exec producer or one of the, one of the head honchos who was being interviewed, you can find this on Vimeo. I just, I just watched it the other day, um, went out to talk to him. And, and, uh, um, and they, Nicole said, well, I've got some problems with the, the script. And he said, all right. And they sat down oh. uh, for a full day. And they went mm. through the script, and Nicole acted it out, and the producer said, and his notes were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. And, and his cha- the recommended changes were brilliant, and he said, great, I'm going to get this to the script editors, you know, much as they do on television, and they, they'll, they'll have it ready. And the day came for filming, and Nicole isn't there, or the day before filming, and Nicole isn't there, as he's uh, supposed to be. Uh, and all the changes are ready in the script that he had made. And the producer goes to the hotel and Nicole says, well, it's done. And they said, what do you mean it's done? He said, well, I, I've done it. I've already performed it. It's done. What? He said, but everyone's there. We've got 200 extras. You have, to, you have to be there. No, I don't. And he left. What? And he's not in, huh. turned to Lonesome Dove because of that. He felt he had already done the performance. Wait, what? He was finished. And he left. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. There is there is a there is a long article and a very funny one. It's by Paul Rudnick, who's a wonderfully oh yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Wrote, I hate Hamlet. Yeah, he wrote I hate Hamlet, the, yeah. the production, famously troubled Broadway production, um, and Williamson played John Barrymore, the ghost of John Barrymore, in that. Um, and he has a he has a long article explaining all of the travails and the casting and the the troubles of that production. And boy, that that's a read. I'll tell you that one. Oh so. my gosh. Okay. Well. So so at any rate, so here's here's your lead actor who somehow showed up and did a wonderful job with Peter Falk. So well, which 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 it's interesting to me because uh, Falk, you know, as you, wasn't the easiest guy to work with on the show. So I I would really really want to know how the two of them yeah. worked together on this. I, yeah. I'd be fascinating they had, to know more they had about worked that. Together they had worked together in the Cheap Detective. Oh right, John brought that before. Yeah, that. John brought that before the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was before or after this. John, do you know? Oh, it was well before it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or before, actually, I think double check. I think because was, I, uh, I, th- I think that was mid seventies. Because it was, cause it was after mur- it, was, oh. it was after Murder by Cheap Death. Detective. Cheap Detective was seventy eight. Oh, so like this seventy eight. Okay, same oh, year. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Same year. So uh, that might have actually been how he got cast. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but oh my god, yeah, it, it, he does a great job in it. Now I just want to kind of like uh, talk about Nicole Williamson for a while. That's <laughs> well, we, that would, we that found, would be uh, we found yes. it earlier. Yes, uh, we found it earlier that RJ has never seen Excalibur, which I, I have am urging not, him no. to check. Yes, because it is uh, this just sort of uh, what did I call it? It was. Uh, an erotic riot or an erotic? Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just that like there's some terrific gurning by Williamson, uh, who might have been really really drunk for all I know. Could have been. Um, and it's just it's got that strange like 
choking, claustrophobic uh, sensuality of late seventies, early eighties um, R-rated films, where every everything is just so weirdly lit that you, yeah, you see boobs, but it's kind of like terrifying. You know what? It, it's that that actually it's interesting you say that because I'm mostly uh, familiar with Williamson from um, the Seven Percent Solution, and you get a lot of that right. feeling uh, from Robert Duvall's performance in that. So. That erotic sort of exotic thing. You get that a lot of that from his performance of Watson. And let's talk about film. Spawn. No, that's okay. <laughs> let's that's talk okay. about oh, Kylie oh, Wait, who does he play Spawn. in Spawn? What is he in Spawn? I, I'm I'm only vaguely familiar with Spawn as a property story, whatever. Who does he play in that? If I in the film, if I tell you who he plays, will you know who it is? Uh, probably not. But just say okay. it anyway. Maybe. But well, well, roll a dice, John. We'll okay, see. here we go. He pl- he plays Cagliostro. Wait, he's like a main bad guy in that or something, isn't he? Or something like that? Or some uh, cl- clown? Main bad guy in Spawn, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that's weird. I think he's right. a, I think it was his last film. Oh, no, he's not, he's not the clown. Something. Oh, he's not the clown. That, yeah. that was John Leguizamo. He's not the clown. John Leguizamo is the clown and the pest. The murder is so horrific and strange, mm-hmm. and yet it and also it's relies... It's very cold, but it relies on a lot of luck, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, the timing of that <clears throat> phone call has to be really good. Exactly. Really timing specific. of the phone call is good. And also, it has to uh, really depend on uh, the guy having seen Citizen Kane. And, mm-hmm. um, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, what if he's like, what if oh, the guy it's, uh, it's a, I don't know. I haven't seen that. That's it's an Enterprise. old movie. Yeah. Like, it, it's back then when you would just see Citizen Kane at a repertory theater or late at night on some independent film station or something like that. Maybe you didn't see it. Though if you're hanging out with uh, Williamson's character, you probably would have had to have watched it in a screening room over and over again. But it's it just seems like a very... It, a lot of chance in this murder. Which is to me is kind of like one of the biggest weaknesses of it. And that the dogs, yeah, every single yes. time that they're going to react that way, you have to depend upon that. Which I found, like, eh, I don't know, dogs... Don't always go the way you want them to, but who knows? Yeah. The uh, the thing that, that yeah. killed me on the episode happens almost immediately when we do the pan. And they have that very Orson Welles type opening. Well, no, it, it, it's the opening from Citizen Intentionally. Kane. Intentionally. It's, it's, well, it's the fence. <clears throat> yeah. The Kane. It's, yeah. it's a fence yeah. going up to the window it's, with the lights in it and everything. It's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's intentionally doing it. Yeah. My, what I liked about it was this guy buys the fence from Citizen, the gate from Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I just, it felt like a really, it's like a Simpsons joke. Like a guy, imagine Monty Burns setting up the gate from Citizen Kane in front of his house and going, there, and there's absolutely no way that my pride and ego will ever get me into any trouble at all. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could not, basically just that hanging the sign on himself like, I am going to get caught. But then also thinking, uh, thinking back, like realistically, I think that was a miniature like in the actual film when it was made, I think they oh, had the a film, miniature. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It was a miniature yeah. and a model. Yeah. It wasn't would, a, they didn't make a full size. They, they yeah. didn't have a full size gate. He had some <laughs> backing to make that movie, but not the not like, oh, we built the entire mansion. Yeah, oh I've got the entire mansion. What if uh, what if he had that. just bought the tiny gate and still put it up in front of his house? <laughs> like Stonehenge. <laughs> in, like Stonehenge. <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's a spinal tap. Spinal yes. Tap Citizen Kane. Exactly. No, no, I'll watch it. You're going to step on it. You're, hold on. Uh, watch your step. Down there, uh, that, that's the, uh, the the actual gate from Citizen Kane. Oh, it's, it's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I know you guys usually play the game of when does when does Columbo know, right? Oh, when does he know okay. that? Dying that, to play this one. Yeah, he's going. I I think he. I, I don't think there's ever any doubt. I think he knows no. almost as soon as he sees the dogs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, I talked to R- I think I talked to RJ about this. I think he pegged him before there was a murder. Oh, well, no, you me. did not. What is it? Oh, really? Interesting. Here's, there's, two, there's two possibilities here. But either, first off, probably the more likely one is that at some point the, the wife's death came across Columbo's desk or the homicide desk. Ah. And he said, this looks really suspicious to me, but I'm not on the case, or maybe I'm too busy trying to get George Hamilton into jail <laughs> and, and failing, uh, or, you know, whatever. But he saw that, and just in his Columbo mind going, the husband did it. And then when there's a second murder there, he's like, yeah, he definitely killed her, and he did this guy, so he knew going in. Or... Which is this is what I was thinking before we got to the murder, where they got to the part about the wife's murder, is that this guy is obviously you know world famous uh, uh, head shrinker and snake oil salesman, mm-hmm. and I think Columbo has probably heard him on the radio, seen him on TV, maybe read a book, maybe somebody at the at the de- head at the department went to one of his Ekankar sessions and it was like oh it just opened my chakra or whatever, and Columbo <laughs> just pegged it as all right this guy is a control freak and a sham. And someday we're going to have trouble with him. And then when he finds out there's a death at his place, he goes, eh, he killed him. And he's on the case. I, I think at the very least... I like that notion. I think I think at Thank the very you. least, like, um, the murder happening at the house, or the, the death happening at the house, even Columbo even going back and looking at and finding the wife, he probably found that to be suspicious and then would, like, kind of tip to that, oh, okay, well, this is it. This is what we're going with. Because <clears throat> the show also has... Yep. He's had experience with with uh, weird little sort of organized, closed off movements like this ending up in trouble, like the the um, yeah uh, the the beauty uh, the the makeup lady one right. that one too. Well, the, it's like she the had the season... compound with all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, even bye bye sky high IQ murder yep. case Which that one. It's like this weird prior. society. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, the robot one that you hate, like this closed off thing where it's people. It seems like it, it's very I'm, much. I'm not a. I'm not a fan of the robot one either. Oh dear! <laughs> Thank you. It's all right, um, but I mean, it, it's always like they always kind of try to make that kind of commentary on these sort of movements in California in the '70s, usually mm-hmm. leading to something uh, that involves murder. And I think this is this is like maybe because was this the final season? Yeah, the '70s. The next, yeah, the next uh, yes. to last episode. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like this is kind of almost. Uh, the, the, the sort of hypothesis, am I using the right word there, of like kind of gathering all of that together. Like, no, this is like the the big one of like all the things yeah. we've been telling you about up to this point. Yeah, this is like a really, really obvious. You guys are going to these things and the people are telling you that you're uh, terrible for feeling stuff. Yeah, well, the guys who run this are usually uh, uh, racket artists and they're going to kill somebody. So there you go. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because the... Uh... You know he's 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 such a control maniac, which we've talked about. It's hard to picture the character as we know him having a wife or having a best. Yes, friend. yes, <laughs> exactly. Unless it's just like yeah, he's expected to, so he's keeping up appearances so so as to not be so much of a sociopath. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh. Actually, we should probably go through this because there's so much in the episode 
worth talking about. And I do want to uh, wanted to add too that Glenn, I think you're right that when Columbo saw the dogs, everything was confirmed for him. Oh yes, yes. Oh, they were God, obviously yeah. playful, fun little animals. Right. Um, yeah. And and, so, and there's no pretense of friendliness on Mason's part. They start playing no. cat and mouse right away. Yep. yep. Yeah. And it like if there was any doubt, it was certainly erased when when Mason says. Basically asks, when are you going to kill my dogs? Could you hurry it up? Right. Yes. Oh my god, right. that whole that whole thread is terrible. When mm-hmm. he goes, oh my god, when he goes to the animal control um, facility and wants to feed them cho- poisoned chocolate, and telling the dogs like, oh, I, I like you live a nice long life, but that's inconvenient for me. It's like, oh my god, if you didn't, if you didn't dislike this guy before. That just really, really, really makes you just hate this bastard. It's yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible. Yeah, the look on his face when he bites the chocolate too is astonishing. Yes. Oh my it's just, god. It's contempt oh. and triumph and yes. it's really good. Oh my god. Oh. My how my far, wife was watching with we... me and she she had an interesting notion of you now granted the dogs were named Laurel and Hardy because right. so that's his shtick. Yeah. But what she she had the notion of what if the dogs were hers and that's why he's so willing to sacrifice them. Oh, oh damn! Wow, that's good. Oh, you wow. think she would have so named them that... Laurel and Hardy then? Or, or, or he just insisted that they have you know. So okay, okay, sure. we'll we'll let you get the dogs, but they have to be yeah, named Laurel. Name. And Hardy, yeah, know? yeah. Oh yeah. gosh, that's a good point. That sounds wow. about right. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> this does tie in, by the way, the original name of the episode, and I just lost it, so I have to swing back down to it. Here it is. The original title of the episode was. <sighs> The Laurel and Hardy (laughs) W.C. Field Citizen Kane murder case. It was what? Really? I'll do it again if you want. They were going to call it that. Weird. Yeah. I mean, they had just gotten off the Bye Bye Sky High IQ murder case, and they went for the Laurel and Hardy. I guess they thought this was going to be the new life of Columbo is the wacky long names, but they went with How to Dial a Murder. Yeah, I think this is a better title. It is. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, So do you think that what's the significance of... This guy uh, being obsessed with old films. Do you think there's anything there with the control thing with his background? Because well, at times, yeah, the I, funny I like, thing is, yeah, is that I, he, he doesn't. I'm not sure he is. I mean, he collects all this stuff, and he he seems to be a film fan, but he doesn't seem to be a fan of much of anything. So yeah, you you have to wonder: is this in place of a personality? You know, is well, he just I, yeah. is he just <laughs> Accumulating these things, you know. I, I was wondering that. You do? Also, also, I was wondering if it was maybe an element that was part of another script that didn't get made too, and so I just kind of added it to his uh, personality for this. So I wasn't sure. I wish we, I wish we knew more of what he had because I have a theory, but we need more than what three objects, right? Which it's is just, it could, yeah. Yeah, it could be a control thing because the collections he does have are the only ones. He has The Gate from Citizen Kane, W.C. Fields' pool cue, and there's only one, uh, which is his uh-huh. great-great-nephew owns now, I think. Oh. And uh, and there's only one surviving Rosebud sled. Well, and uh, but there's a bunch of, like, po- there are a bunch of posters there. He puts old, know, fil- but... he puts old film, I mean, old uh, lighting rigs up all over the place, too. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah. So that's, back- that's backdrop. That's backdrop. But yeah, I, I, right. That's an interesting notion, John. I like that. That's all I've got. I mean, it's only three items, so I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, part of it could be the character thing, and part of it could be like uh, just storytelling wise. That's all yeah. they had room to get in there, it was, and also make right. it was the like, only way to get Combo out to that uh, it, that it, ghost town. Right. It did yes. allow them to. Yeah. Uh, 
it did allow them to put one of the Columbo uh, Mason air interrogations in front of the poster of the suspect. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Oh, nice. There's this okay. early, early on in one of their first in, in, interrogations. I think it's when he's telling them about the baby spot that he found or something like that. They're they're right. They're framed right in front of the poster the, the, of the suspect. And I thought, OK, that that was intentional. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the suspect is. Uh, wasn't that the movie that. My, God, I'm going to sound like an idiot. The I one that know. was maybe <laughs> it was a Charles Lawton movie. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And it was okay. uh, it was theoretically one of the inspirations for Columbo because it uses the same formula. Oh, really? And including including the over friendly detective who's slowly closing in on the killer. Oh, All right. Oh, nice. That's even better. Oh, I've been even having that piece, of, that piece of information has been in my head for like the three years we've been doing this podcast. I've oh, never really? had a chance to use it. Oh, mm-hmm. there we go. It's a perfect <laughs> one. That's great. All right. Well, I'm done. I quit. And, All right. Uh, well, that's the show for this week. week. Uh, we'll talk to you next done time. Done everything it's, I can do. What? No, no. What? Right. <laughs> wait, wait. We haven't even gotten to Kim Cattrall. Or I know. Or... Yes. Yes. Kim Let's get to Kim Cattrall. I don't know where mm-hmm. to start with that. Where she is aware of I... the affair, and she. Right. It seems like it's sort of implied quite a few times. Like, oh, well, she's having a thing with um, Doctor Mason, but then turns out. That's not the case, and then he tries killing yeah. her, and it's just, oh, it's just, it's very strange and bizarre. It's, it's a very, bear, it's very I don't odd. Know. I, I did, I did think it was a nice reversal of having her being the one carrying the torch, and him, and him not, not. He's like, nope, I've tried, a, I've tried a relationship, a human relationship before. I'm not going there again. <laughs> yes, yeah, Climb he's a weird. Dog. Yes, yeah, and then he's going to strangle her when he finds out she knew about the affair mm-hmm. between right. the late wife and the late friend. He is going to kill her, except Columbo just happens to come in. Again, it's a thing yes. where someone happens to find... Yeah, there's a lot of happenstance and luck in this episode, which is strange. Yeah, well, she, you know, they, they were, they were based on the weather and his coat over his shoulders, they were cosplaying Dracula, I guess, along the way. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Very, <laughs> so, when, very, a, when a homicide detective scene. comes in, yeah. It's like, oh, well, yeah. we weren't doing anything. I wasn't uh, doing my thumbs at her windpipe. I, it's, right, it's completely yes. above board, everybody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but that's late in the game. But before that, you know, we've got all the business with their teddy bear, Sigmund. Right, yes. <laughs> Sigmund. Oh, <geez>. Yes. <laughs> Which oh is pretty much. You know, I don't at least she's a good I'm witness. So she remembers things well. Yeah. I wrote down a bunch of quotes specifically from that scene because she's got two incredible lines. One of which was talking about how her daddy told her that everything was going to be all right. And then she says, but daddy didn't know about the dogs. And then she turns away really dramatically. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good line, RJ. Live it. It's a weird. It's good. It's a weird. <laughs> she has a she has a really interesting way of performing that put me in the mind of starlets from the 1950s and 60s. Oh, and really? didn't really didn't feel like a very 70s performance to me. Oh, specifically, specifically like the- late 70s. Like the Douglas Sirk kind of thing, a little, you know, a little mm. melodramatic. Yeah, it was a little melodramatic. Yeah. You know, she was kind of lit that way, so it was hard to avoid. Right. Um, yeah, I, and it just felt like she was being very, like, hyper-present in front of the camera. Right. <clears throat> right. If I that get makes you. any sense. Yeah. No, there is a, you know, this in, the, in, their second, in their second one, there is a moment where we were watching it. And it's when Columbo is uh, cutting ahead a little bit. He's 
finding the hook in the kitchen. He's he's convinced her to come back into the kitchen that you know, which she's understandably right. nervous to do, um, as we all would be. Um, and he says, "Can you can you hear me up here, Miss?" You know that great line as he's on top of the ladder. But uh, who let him into the house? Right. <laughs> yes, I wondered that also. Like, yes. It's like he's just, yeah. he's just, you know, it's it's somebody somebody is always lurking outside wherever she is. It's either Mason or it's Columbo. Every scene <laughs> you see her, there's a guy lurking outside the door. Right. It's a it's very creepy. Well, actually, uh, just straight, yeah. Getting even the some, murder victim, there's always a dude. The, like again, some of the visuals just then. I I'm clicking on James Frawley, and he did a couple I like. He, try and catch me. He did this one. But he also did Make Me a Perfect Murder, which I was not a huge fan of. John liked a lot more than I did. But then he also did yeah, a did. couple like of that. the um, 90s ones. Murder, Smoke, and Shadows. Mm-hmm. So, he, so he did the uh, Columbo as the ringmaster, the, um, oh, magical, dear. Yeah. the magical realism one. Uh, Sex and the Merry Detective, which was not good. And the Murder Self-Portrait. So he had two, two television ones, two psychologist ones. What's the fifth one? Uh, murder Self-Portrait. Oh, and the artist. Okay. Yeah, the artist with the uh, three wives or whatever, which we haven't gotten to, which is creepy and strange. Um, <laughs> so that this guy, like, I kind of like some of them, but then I can. There's a couple I just have no, I have no desire to ever watch again in my life with yeah. others. Well, this so, this is my favorite of all of his. Then, if it's yeah, if those I think are so. His, his I five. Just, yeah, this is, this is definitely the strongest. Well, I don't know. And, I try and catch me though. That that's a Ruth Gordon one. So oh, did, one, he did try and catch me. Oh, that's a yes. great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah. I don't know. He did like he, like he had two really solid classics, and then the rest are like, eh. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were just missing Ed Bagley. That's all. Yes, that's it. Oh, Ed Bagley, Ed bless Bagley his heart. Junior, really, literally making a meal out of that role. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chewing that sandwich like everybody paid to come see him do a it. Young, that a is young Adam actor, Ford. a young actor trying to like, here we go. I got to make people notice me, for God's sake. Here we go. Come on. It's 1978. Let's go, everybody. Lean on the bars I'm with sh- the killer dogs and eat a sandwich. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I am shocked that he did not did not straight do like a Nick Kroll joke with that phone when it was ringing. Just like swinging it by the cord. <laughs> Taking the, the handset and just really swinging it around, <laughs> <laughs> but bless his heart, you do not miss him. It's not like Jeff Goldblum, right? You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, because you have to look hard for Goldblum, but God, Begley is right there. Yep. Yeah, and Goldblum heart. never came back. Ed Begley came back in the nineties. Well, okay, that's, that's better right. for Jeff Goldblum. That's better for Jeff and, Goldblum. And probably. in his and in real life too, he disappeared and came back in the nineties. Yes, yes, yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> that's true. Actually, I, I, you know, I think I, I think I want an internet meme of um of Columbo just shouting random words at dogs trying to see if they'll attack. Kill, kiss, diamonds, diamonds, rubies, sneakers. That that was the if you ever wanted a perfect exhibit of the triumph of hope over experience, it is Columbo shouting random words hoping to find one that makes a dog kill. Yeah, it would be like two There's hours what, of just four hundred. Yeah, four hundred thousand words in the dictionary, and he was just going to go through all of them. Well, actually, though, that scene, that's another example of just luck and happenstance leading to him solving Mm -hmm. this case. Because if he hadn't been there, if the phone hadn't have rung to activate the dog, sort of, he wouldn't have found that out. I mean, it's he had to be there right then to the phone ring to get the dogs kind of agitated to then start figuring stuff out. 
So that that was kind of odd to me. Like like a lot of the whole luck thing. Yeah. I guess yeah. Yeah, a lot of luck a lot of luck involved with phones in this episode. So Yes. Phones and angry, <laughs> angry dogs somehow. Yes. You know, they didn't, make a, they didn't make a thing of this, but, you know, of course, he offers chocolate to the dogs, and chocolate is toxic yeah. to dogs. Yes, like, he didn't so need to put poison in it. He could have right, just given put, the, the chocolate, that's it, or whatever he, he had. Yeah. just actual chocolate, which was not commonly known in the 70s, I think, that chocolate was toxic to dogs. Um, not to not to go down a, 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 uh, a tragic path, but we lost a family dog when I was very young in the early mm-hmm. 70s to, oh, to chocolate. She got into a, a cupboard, uh, okay. found the Easter chocolate, and we and, and my parents, I think, were unaware uh, that chocolate was toxic to dogs, and as most people were, so I I ex- sort of expected them to point out that dogs can't process chocolate, and they never quite did, but they made a yeah, point of having to take a bite of it, you know, right. to prove it wasn't. Oh, uh, yeah, make, because I, I wonder if they cut it or something or. Yeah, you're right, because I didn't really hear about that until, like, it's an odd thing in the 90s, maybe? Which is strange. Like, I don't know if there was, at some point in the 80s or 90s, they said, like, yeah, we need some sort of public information campaign to finally mm-hmm. tell people the secret about dogs and chocolate. Was it right. Big, was, it, right. was it big chocolate holding that back all those decades? <laughs> not wanting people to not buy chocolate, chocolate for the households? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I do like the uh, I do like the, speaking of dogs I do like the other analogy of Columbo uh, as the as the puppy in the raincoat. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. Digging uh, planting planting mines. Oh well the uh, yes yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> it was mines. a really strained weird metaphor but I loved it. <laughs> but it works it works. You think about it, it's like oh yeah there you go. Uh, well uh, tell about the dogs then he goes and uh, meets up with the um, dog training. Uh, a lady too. Yes, and so there's a wonderful sequence in there with his own dog, with dog, <clears throat> who is just lazy, and even she has contempt for this for this dog. But then there's like the the weird <laughs> sort of reverse training sequence later on. Like in the eighties, it would have been some like kind of training sequence where you'd have seen the montage. Yeah, montage. Instead, the montage <laughs> is just a bunch of music and Colombo falling asleep in his car. Well, we decided that was the that was the the love theme of the NBC mystery movie. That was when they, when they, they cut to that, and there sure. was the soft music and the well, sunset, and just yes. like and now the love theme from that. Yes. How to dial a murder and many many more. All the yes. hits. As your local station uh, signs off for the evening, here's the here's a song that plays. Um, yeah, and it's weird because I can't remember ever, there ever being some sort of like um, instrumental or music-backed montage in a Columbo episode, aside from this. Yeah, they, uh, they sort of had to explain the, the passage of time. And later on, he says, he has a reference of when we were playing the, the word association game a few weeks ago. Right, yeah. So, so it's like a few weeks. It's like, yeah. wow. He he kept those dogs alive a long time without right. Mason knowing. <laughs> right. So I'm wondering like how that even worked out. With that judge was on like the verge of wanting them put down. Like what was his argument? Because he didn't have a lot in terms of hard evidence except for going out to the uh, old abandoned Wild West uh, set 
Right. To right. find, yeah. I just imagine there was a cut line there of uh, where he's still on the phone with the judge when the dogs are freaking out. It's like, Doug, do, judge, the, the dogs are savaging Ed Bagley Jr. I'm going to hold the phone up so you can tell. <laughs> yeah, so you and can and tell so the, the judge is like, well, that's fine then. You bought yourself <laughs> another two weeks from that alone. I, I was left wondering at the end of the episode, what happens to the dogs? Because... Oh, Whether right. or not they were retrained, they had actually killed the dude. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Columbo, like, you know, kind of took them home and let them play. And to this, then he to has this, to take them back. To this day, Mrs. Columbo is feeding them every single day. Right. Had, oh, so they're, adopted they're like 60? Yeah, he adopted, <laughs> he, adopted the, he adopted the dogs. Columbo did, feeling bad for them. They're living back yeah, at the I, house. I want to... I want a series with the dog trainer, uh, Cochran, I think he named her, uh, oh. he called her, uh, who's a little sadistic herself. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. But I, I think she took the dogs, and there's a whole series of her fighting crime with the trained Dobermans now. Oh, so. I'm with, on it. With, uh, with, with, with uh, different, um, different film phrases. Using that. <laughs> That's the whole gimmick. Different, different yeah, film spoilers will, uh, exactly. will send the dogs. Darth Vader was Luke's father, and then the dog ah, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> the guy in the crying game is a dude. <laughs> dogs, <laughs> run dogs only running yeah. catch the diamond thief or something like that. You know. Right. That was it. Was such a she was kind of a weird addition to it because she was so strikingly beautiful, and then was such a background player. Like she has a commanding presence, right? And you kind of felt like she'd be more prominent in the episode. In she it. has like right. Yeah, cumulatively maybe six, seven minutes. Yes. Yeah. It was odd. And I th- actually, was, you know what? I think was, Kim Cattrall probably got about as much time, even though she's a little I more I think she got more. I think she got more. I don't know. Like, I'm not counting time where she's wet. Like, if she's in a swimsuit, getting all, you know, that's that's for dad, as they like to say. But um, but it's still screen time. If you're an actor, you're it is still screen time. If you're, know, you're an actor, you're clocking screen time. If you can see your face, there you go. You're on there. You got your job. <laughs> you getting your paycheck for that time. Yeah, Sigmund drew a big on the clock too. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, actually, the the scene. Let's talk about this a bit. We we uh, of course alluded to it in our uh, little bit in the intro with the um, word association deal. Um, there's a thing I remember uh, ta- talking to John last week about this, uh, something that really, really caught him. And I said, did you see, notice that? Like, oh yeah, it's this thing. Uh, John, if you would. The fireplace. Oh, sure. Yes. During, which is, during which the really association yes. game. Yeah. And it, there is a screen cap of this. You'll be able to see it on the Tumblr. Uh, Columbo's coat is hanging in the foreground and the tape recorder is very visible in the coat mm-hmm. pocket. It's such a the great, audience. It, it's such a great like shot composition. It's so neat. Yeah, it, like, it's kinda, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I yeah, was, uh, what I liked about it, yeah, I was watching. I was like, I was that like "Oh, was, that's neat." Yeah, it's very clever the way that because it's an uncommon presentation of Columbo. He doesn't have his coat or jacket on. He's no. holding alcohol. He doesn't. He never drinks. With no, the, and he's with having the he's having he's having like a sherry or whatever in front of the fireplace. Yeah. with this murderer, and it's been established that Columbo hates this guy just from yeah. So the way all your attention hates him. So. So yeah. your, your attention is bound to be focused, and you got that fire in the middle of the screen, so it's bound to be focused on that. And off on the corner, if you're attentive enough, there's the tape recorder. And right. it's, it's a nice touch. And if you're attentive enough in a blurry 1970s TV set. Right. 
probably about Which, maybe 17 mm-hmm. inches. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like you have to notice yeah. that tiny little device I, is poking out of his pocket. It, it's yeah. It's I, really I love nice. the, I love that the director played fair. That's yeah. playing fair. Right. You know, that's a yeah. nice that's a nice bit, especially when we think when we would assume naturally that it's off later when they're talking about the gate, you know. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not like there's no cuts to it. There's no cut to there's no close up of it. It's just it's there. If you noticed it, great. If you didn't, it still works later on when he says it was in his yeah. pocket. So then if you the- watch it later on, like a Sunday morning when some local station's rerunning the NBC mystery movie, then you watch it again like, oh, yeah, it was there back then when I saw it. Okay, yeah. But it, it's a nice, nice, nice thing that they threw in there. I was surprised the, at it. The body language of the two of them in that word association game is great, too. Oh, God, it goes it's from, such a good scene. You know, Williamson leaning forward and Columbo leaning back, totally relaxed to to sort of reverse with... You know the six foot five or whatever he was, Williamson sort of shrunken down in this <laughs> chair right. by the end of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Columbo leaning forward and pointing at him. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre. I look at my notes like, oh, the the, the, <clears throat> the old west, I, the old west town is such a weird thing. That is a weird, was, weird yeah. thing. I, I there was a I legitimate don't... tumbleweed. Yes, a tumbleweed flew <laughs> past as Columbo drew drove up because uh, uh, Williamson's character had been training the Dobermans for probably weeks and weeks and weeks in this old abandoned um old like old west movie set that nobody's using yep. anymore. And so when Columbo discovers this and drives up to it, it it looks like some weird Western film from like the nineteen forties yeah. or so. Which I mean fits <clears throat> in with um Dr. Mason's character being obsessed with that sort of thing. But it's weird to see him drive up and yeah, the, the an actual tumbleweed blowing past the Peugeot. It's just like it just yeah, it was so strange. Yeah. What's that? What's that uh, Bruce Willis movie that was based on Yojimbo? Oh, uh, Last Man Standing. Last Man Standing, which yeah, which I yep. really like. Um, we, <laughs> there's a shot where you see the Peugeot through the the open doors of like a you know a, a saloon. Mm-hmm. And I swear it's a shot from Last Man Standing, or vice versa. And immediately, I was just expecting, like, all of a sudden, just be gunfire and Christopher Walken and Bruce Stern, and yeah. I I might be reading too much into it, but uh, didn't, like, the the Manson folks, weren't they holed up for a while in some sort of old sort of set thing Mm. like that? I seem to remember. I'm probably completely wrong, but I seem like I remember reading that at some point, that at some point they were encamped at some old uh, sort of like a Hollywood set, old Western thing. I'm probably wrong, but it seems like I, I read something like that, Maybe. but I'm sure it has nothing to do with it, but just to me it added, if it, it added to the creepiness of it that this is very fake false mm, movie set right, and right. and yeah, he you know, had, I, had training dogs to kill someone in yeah, the middle it, it, of nowhere. Columbo goes there, Columbo goes there and he finds the sp- he finds the speaker and he yeah. finds the hook, you know, with the with the rust worn away where this you know something's been swinging. But then he finds this this yoke, this crossbeam, yes, that hangs from it. And I didn't get the significance of that. Did that tell him anything new <laughs> that he didn't already <laughs> that he wouldn't have already figured out? I like they spent a full minute on him hanging up this yoke, this crossbeam onto the hook. I'm like, yeah, and I think it, you know, I think well, it they, kind they, of connects with him uh, also finding something similar in the kitchen, maybe like something hanging. Um, I don't know. 
I think uh, I think they just paid for that squeaking uh, metal <laughs> foley, and they wanted to get their money's worth. Yeah, maybe that was That's right. Me. Yes, yeah. we've hired it this is, foley just... artist. Damn it, we're going to use him. So. <laughs> He's the top foley artist in Europe. So uh, then Mason he's... goes. There's a nice. I, I like the fact that he goes. Uh, we see Columbo at the ghost town, and then we see Mason getting into Charlie's apartment. I assume it is. Oh, this is oh. a good scene too. Yes. Right, yeah. and he yeah, and he removes the evidence of the affair, which for some reason he hadn't removed until now. But okay, fair enough. Sure. He removes the the photographs of the two of them together that Charlie had, um, and then, and then suddenly, you know, Columbo's there. <laughs> and and almost the entire scan. time, just watching the entire him do time. The shit. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Going through the clothes, and they don't explicitly connect the ghost town with the clothes, which I liked until later. You, but yeah, I liked that a lot. Yeah. I liked it a lot because as if you were you connected later on, like you didn't say explicitly this, this, this. The suits are all just laid out, except for one that doesn't have a jacket. Right, and then you—that's when you realize at the end, like, oh, it's that. Like they never. Yeah. It's this thing you said earlier, like the playing fair thing. It's like it's actually relying on the audience to figure this out, to connect the dots themselves, which I love it when any program does it, but I really, really love it uh, when they do it in Columbo. Like, you actually respect the audience's intelligence. Like, you're going to know what this is. You're playing along with him. There you go. I I like it a lot when they actually do that and not just hold your hand and lead you through every single last damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get the uh, we get the Dracula scene with uh, Mason trying to kill Joanna. Yep, and Columbus uh, happens to everyone, come in. Everyone just walks yeah. into her house like they always do. Yep, she doesn't never locks the door. It's yeah. not a very secure beach house, no, or a pool house, no. <laughs> it's not. It's not very good. The two story <laughs> pool house. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's so like she's so dismissive of Sigmund at that point. I wondered if they were okay. So she's very. Uh, I guess infantilized early on. Oh, very you know, wearing much so. that big fluffy robe and hugging her teddy bear. Even and though about she's daddy. supposed to be some sort of, she's supposed to be like a, a I guess pre-doctoral psychologist. Yeah, she's supposed student, to, right? She's yeah, she's again. Yeah, but you don't get that impression that at all. You don't get that impression. Well, at all you know that beginning. You know that gag about anybody who takes psychology in in college is just trying to. They're doing it because they're trying to figure out why they're so. Uh, random or whatever right but then also <laughs> so, at the beginning she had just seen a mauled body that had been torn apart by dogs yeah so maybe I'd she's be, maybe she's a little shook by that i guess yeah I, i'd yeah. probably be hugging a teddy bear too right yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but if you have one that's kind of the point but yeah. uh, uh the, so they, she gets okay, to the yeah, scene yeah. where she's she's packing to move out and she just just hucks sidman just that's the end of you bear She's lost. And, it. She's lost her innocence. Like, oh, yeah. Hey. And I think that's yeah. the moment. Like, now she's going to be an adult. She's going to put everything on the table, and she's going to say, "Your wife and your best friend are having an affair, and we're done." And not, not an adult long enough to realize actually, you should just leave. Hmm. Right. You should just yeah. leave and not talk to the guy who clearly killed both those people. Right. Yeah. 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 And you know, and honestly, revealing their affair, even murders aside, if she did not, you know, was completely oblivious to that. Revealing their affair is kind of a selfish move, couched in it telling is. the truth, right? You know, it's it's yeah. a it's a little it's a little uh, har- harsh given the circumstances, right? And was she? Do you think <laughs> she kind of did that because she felt rejected by him? So she's kind of mm-hmm. trying to get back by that by saying that, so like, yeah, well, your your or wife to, is messing around, or to release him, so whatever. Yeah, release him from this imagined 
Oh, you know, he's, oh okay. He's, you know, I, I think that's what yeah. she's telling herself. But still, I, whether it's a, yeah. in, the smart thing to do or the, it wasn't, or the, it wasn't the kind the, thing to do. Yeah, yeah it wasn't, well, it wasn't the smart play because it ended up no. with her almost getting no. strangled. Yes. By a drunk. Yeah. Fortunately, yeah. another ran, another guy walks by and randomly walks into her house, and it happens to be Lieutenant Columbo. So. Yes, again, <laughs> the randomness. Yeah, because if Columbo hadn't, like, oh, I'm going to stop by there tonight on the way home. It's like, no, she would have been ended up dead, too, with like the third murder in this right. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we haven't touched on the EKG yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yes. the, the, the fact that, you know, he's when, when Mason calls and and activates the dogs and sets them on, manages to, to or to trick his friend into setting the dogs on himself, uh, he's hooked up to the CKG machine, which we'd seen before in, I think, Troubled Waters, the, the uh, Robert Vaughn episode. Wasn't he on an EKG machine in that one? Um, uh, he's on am, a I heart am I remembering yeah. right? Heart I monitor? I don't. Uh, I don't know. I did, it okay. didn't have a paper readout. I don't yeah, there wasn't. Think. Yeah, there wasn't a readout. Yeah. I feel like there was there was, was something just, with that before. It was just that um, he had had some distress, and they gave him some sort of medication for it. And I think that's what tipped him. Like, oh, that's strange. He seemed to be like oh, but, kind of excited. Yeah, but it wasn't evidence in that case. It wasn't. It wasn't something that no. Columbo no, ever yeah, looked. Yeah, yeah. But it, it okay. was something. But it was something where it was kind of like, oh, he was needed some sort of re- yeah, yeah. But, but it wasn't like a paper paper reader right or anything right yeah it was probably you know given everything else it was probably an unnecessary clue along the way um but i always when i when looking at this again i thought there was a small missed opportunity here where it would have been fun if columbo thought it was going to be a good a, a clue or um something to to research that that mason had been hooked up to this and checked it and found out that his heartbeat didn't change at all when he set the dogs on the guy right that would have been interesting but that would have been creepy. But then also, <laughs> I, I kind of wonder, like, how did Columbo get that from the doctor? It seems like there would have right. been some sort of legal right. issues there as well. Because Columbo has it and just has it in the guy's uh, pool table at the end. Yep. Which, well, actually, actually, that, this is one of the best, most theatrical entrapments of a uh, murderer, <laughs> I think, in the series. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Every single pocket of the pool, pool table has some sort of clue just to shake the guy. <laughs> Magically just hidden Just to in mess it. with him, which is lovely, yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah, one of them is EKG. And he's just pulling it out. He's, this is just, like, very theatrical, like, whipping it out the entire length yeah. of it. And, like, oh, yeah. here you go. Like, well, at exactly well, that time, but it happens. He starts off with... <laughs> yeah, he starts off with, you know, you don't don't feel you have to comment, Sarah, just a theory. I you love know. that line so much. Right, 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 right. Don't feel that's and then he lays it all out. And then there's your wife, crack, with the pool balls. Yep. <laughs> all right. Oh, there's like the a tennis ball in one of the pockets also. Yes. Too. To like... Nothing nothing Freudian about, about that move, referring to the wife and then breaking the <laughs> Yep. Breaking the pool balls. Yeah. Um the the whole thing of like just just completely um just goading him on, like uh, telling him, like, I found I found you disappointing. You're incompetent yes. and doing oh, this, God. just, just yeah. pushing we, him and pushing him and pushing him. Yeah, he's, such, he's, oh, he's never great. seen Columbo this vindictive, and I and I love it because he's just he's just baiting this guy. Yes, because exactly. he knows what he's pushing him toward. Trying to use the dogs on Columbo, which yeah. that's always disturbing when like someone in like the the uh, killer in an episode actually tries to then kill Columbo in some way, and then fails. And this, 
doing like trying to use the dogs, and the dogs go up and just end up kissing Columbo a lot, <laughs> which is lovely. Who wouldn't everybody loves Columbo? Trying to kill. Yeah, Columbo I was wondering about. Kisses. I was wondering about how angry he was getting at the end, and we've talked before about. Uh, actually, one of our guests, I can't remember who mentioned it, it might have been Christy Blanche, pointed out that Columbo gets furious when he's investigating somebody for murder, and then they the murderer tries to kill somebody else. Yeah. Yes. Because right. you yes. know, he he comes in later on the one, but he, he if he can't prevent the other one or barely prevented it. So I think yeah, he the probably Yeah, the uh, the Robert Conrad, not Robert Conrad, the... Um... Yeah, uh, the just greasy, said the greasy, I can't think of the guy's real name. Yeah, the, I can never remember, like, yeah. The, 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 the Jim guy. guy. I'm in trouble with his name, too. The Greasy Jim guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Robert Conrad. Uh-huh. What is Conrad? Is Robert Conrad? Okay. Yep. Oh, I, no, you know what? No, I, I, was, I was saying Robert Conrad. You're thinking of William Conrad. I was, I was thinking I got it wrong with William Conrad. So those are two <laughs> far, far different guys. Very different physical. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Link, uh, yes. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so I think he might have put together that he was trying to, he was going to murder Kim Cattrall up there in the two-story pool house. Oh, okay. And that would definitely launch And that's Columbo. just it. He's like, fuck this guy. I'm going to mess with him. Who cares? Yep. Yeah, that's it. That's over. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. play with the WC I'd bet field my, shit. I'd bet my yeah. life on it, sir. Nudge, yes. nudge, nudge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just That's a good episode. It's it's good. You know, I, I can't I, believe that people don't like this one. I don't understand why they wouldn't like this. One. I watched it as part of my binge watch when I did Columbo <laughs> a long time ago, which, I, by the way, has and totally soured me on binge watching anything. I realize now it's the wrong way to do it because I didn't really like this one the first time I saw it. It didn't stick with me. I thought, you know, oh. like you say, there's a lot of moving parts, and I got a little bored. But I had also watched like two episodes before this. I think I watched The Conspirators right after. Yeah. And it, all of its virtues disappear when you just, you're watching like a four-hour block of this stuff because they're not meant to be watched that way. So going back later and watching it in isolation and just going from start to end and watching it a second time to get ready for the show, everything that's great about the episode really bubbles to the surface. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree a hundred percent on that. I, I don't think, I think going through this whole, like this whole uh, podcast, this whole process, it, it's been a matter of either it's ones that I watched a long time ago. And then I'm watching them again for the first time in years. It's like, Oh, okay. It's great. I don't think I haven't really sat down to watch a whole bunch in a row. I've been spacing them out a lot. And then I'll watch them like twice before we do an episode. And that that's helped a lot because it's like, oh, okay, I'm just mm-hmm. watching this isolated uh, piece, and it just, yeah, it's nice because then you kind of appreciate it as this like self-contained weird little TV movie thing. Then try to relate yeah. it to the others or not, whatever you want to do. But yeah, it, it's better than just watching a whole bunch in a row because yeah, then you just get sick of it because the format's mm-hmm. the same for the most part, and you're kind of like, eh, I've, I've seen this. And I, yeah, yeah, I like watching these, uh, you know, for each, uh, this is my second time with you guys, and each time I've watched the episode at least twice, and you get, you really do find interesting things on those close viewings along the way. It's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a series that rewards that a lot. Well, I mean, the DA, yeah, I mean, they, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, they really do treat it like films, like the director's approach to these things, like they're making a self-contained story that has to be taken on its merits. 
Right. So even the ones that are like the the episodes I didn't particularly like, like suitable for framing, which despite the fact that everybody tells me it's amazing, I still don't get into. Um, (laughs) But at least it's a coherent movie. I feel like that was something that if I had gone to a theater, I may not have enjoyed it, but I would have felt like it was in its right place. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's how really all the early Columbos are. You can't get past the velvet tux, huh? <laughs> God, that episode still kills me because, like, if you just write all, write down all the elements of it, I love everything. But when you actually, when I actually watch it, it just doesn't gel for me. What What is the thing? Is it Is it the lead guy, the the, the killer? Is that the guy? Because this performance is a little strange and broad. Yeah, Ross Martin is a little strange and broad no. in it. I love you know I I love Ross Martin. I was a big fan of Wild Wild West for right. a long time. Yeah. Uh, I love Mary Wicks is in that one too, right? Oh, yeah, the the, the lady yes. with the bird, yes. yeah, the landlady, yes. yep, yep. Uh, Vic Ta- Vic Tabak. I love oh, the whole God, the right. art yes. museum yes. scene. <laughs> it's very amusing to me. Uh, was it Don Amici's in it? Yes, too, right? Don Amici playing a yeah, guy from a there's... different decade. Yes. Yeah, the, I, I think that was really all that was. It was just there were three different acting styles going on. Huh. There was there's Falk's really naturalistic style. There was Martin's very you know formal '50s '60s playhouse style, and Don Amici's big cinematic leading man style. And they kept clashing so hard that I couldn't really uh, follow. Uh. Like I think part of the reason I can't believe we're relitigating this episode. <laughs> sure, part of the reason <laughs> season two. Yeah. Season <laughs> Part of the reason I think I really like the Vic Tabak scene is not just because it's kind of funny and it's got a lot of, of good business in it, like, you know, Columbo being embarrassed about a nude woman and such. It's that I think Tabak comes from that same school of acting as Falk does. Oh, definitely. And so, yeah, right. yeah they really play off each other beautifully well. And I know Tabak is remembered for you dingy broads and stuff, but, you know, even in Papillon, he really owns that one short scene he's in. So I think together they just have a really good balance and i don't know if everybody else did anyway i i think i think the main problem you probably have with the fact that we talked about with manning and manning sucks so that's probably a big part <laughs> oh he's that's gonna okay. hate to that. he well, doesn't listen your, to this you know in, in your long in your long list of next <laughs> podcast to do I'm the Vic back appreciation hour can be definitely be one of them i would oh my god i would do oh, the what? Vic back appreciation oh, hour. That'd be neat. second that would be nice. <laughs> yeah Vic Tabak would have. You got, you got what, be, 10 or 11, you got you got ten or eleven more Columbo episodes to do, and then then you got Vic Tabak. That's the title. The uh, title of the podcast: Tabak, all caps with an exclamation mark. That's that's the title of the podcast. <laughs> no, it's, we're gonna, right it'll oh, be okay. the Tabak flashback. I like just Tabak. Nothing. What? All right. What, what all more right, folks, this week on one, Tabak? One more thing on this on this final uh, on this final scene. You know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's the moment when. Uh, Mason says Rosebud, yeah. and he's sicking the dogs on Columbo, and the dogs growl for a minute before coming up and 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 kissing Peter Falk. Yes, yeah. uh, and I have to I have to think, did Columbo have Cochrane train them to do that? Oh, the <laughs> just to bait him just a little bit more. Oh, probably, yeah. To, oh, maybe. Yeah, it's like okay, have him growl well, she, and then they'll come up. And I could kisses. see that'd okay. be great. Yes. Oh my God, I hope so. Yeah, you're probably right. She did, you know, she was pretty sadistic. Just a tiny bit of hope. Just a tiny tiny bit of hope for one last second. Like, my plan's going to (laughs) work. And like, ah, they're licking him. Oh, crap. Well, guys, I got to loop this around again. And then he gets in one last dig at the end. He says, no, sir, I would never take your course. Oh, right, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
just to twist the knife just a little bit more. Well, but and no, then also at the end, there's that great line he has about the uh, the pleasure of the enjoying just enjoying the pleasure of the game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Talk about yeah, it's about pool, whatever, but it's about this. Yeah. Yeah. I got one more to throw at you, by the way. Vic Tabak also in the Cheap Detective. Oh. Oh yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I haven't well, if you seen do... that whole thing. So I got to see if you, that. If, if you do a Columbo, if you do a Just One More Thing extra, you can do oh. the like the Cheap Detective, Murder by Death. Yes. You can do all the, actually, the that Peter Falk 70s idea. movies. Actually, just yeah, we're trying. doing those two do that, would actually, actually be a good idea, actually. That's a really good idea. Just doing those two Let's films. ask the fans. Hey, listeners, if you'd like to hear us do the Cheap Detective and Murder by Death, leave us some comments in the comment I, I don't. I don't think those two films are worth doing one episode each. I think doing one of the both of them would be i right. think we'll be okay i think we'd be okay doing one episode talking about both of those things all right well let's start uh kind of winding things down um with final thoughts final uh ratings whatnot uh mr hamilton uh this one you picked it uh, you liked it uh what, what do you have to say about it in the end uh, well, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna rate it because John's the master of oh, that. Oh, sure, definitely. of course, yes, but, yes, yes. But but yes, of course. yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I still on I, I'm glad I picked it because and 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 I appreciate you guys uh, letting oh, me too. letting me pick yeah. this one because this this still holds up as one of my my favorites in this one. Just if for no other reason than to watch Falk and Williamson share the screen and then trying to get both of them in frame at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I have to say, I finding out more about Williamson. Like, I want, I'm, I definitely want to read more about him because I always, I always like stories of troubled actors, uh, like this guys who just were very good, but then uh, yeah, got in their own way, sort of. Yeah, I always find that kind of fascinating. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like from uh, what what uh, little I found out tonight, it's he's definitely one of those. I mean, definitely look at a bunch of that a lot. But yeah, I liked this episode a lot. This is. Especially for that final season, uh, this is very, very good. It, it's a brutal, terrible, uh, disgusting, disturbing murder. Uh, what he does, but uh, Williamson plays it so cold. It's so interesting. Plus, uh, mixing in the whole weird seventies uh, California um, self-help thing into it too. Falk's great in it. Mm-hmm. The, the last scene where he finally like uh, uh, gets the guy is just. Great and funny and strange. It, it, it's good. This I would put this up in my uh, my my one of my top episodes, especially the seventies ones. This is very good, John. Yes, sir. Uh, what <clears throat> what would you rate this? What do you think of it? Would you rate it? All right. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to rate it two out of ten. Two out of ten. What? Two out of ten. Which is the command phrase for eight out of ten. Thank you very much, ladies. Oh, hey, <laughs> nice. Hey. Oh, uh, nice. Um, yeah, so, uh, really, uh, it's such a my dog is growling in the background. That means <laughs> I know I got an angry cat what, outside um, the door scratching. All of a sudden, I don't. What know what that is that sled called? What is that sled called? Say it nice and loud into the phone because that's not weird. Uh, snowflake. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> jokes on you. Oh, taught the dog snowflake. Uh, it's a really this is a very weird episode to be perfectly honest like if i had to if i had to make a chart of weird episodes with last salute to the commodore being the possible weirdest yes this would at least be within shouting distance oh really okay yeah Yeah. because of things like like the really dramatic acting on kim cattrell's part or 
the uh, the weird t- like you say the the stretching out the time, which is also unusual in Colombo, because usually everything takes place within a week or so. Um, and then the ghost town, the uh, Sigmund the bear. There's a lot of oddities in this that I don't think I'd ever s- expect to see in another episode of Colombo, and I like it. Yeah, it makes it good. distinctive, gives it a signature, and you can't say enough about Williamson's performance. I'm looking through the screen caps. And when he is talking to his audience, when he's talking to Kim Cattrall's character, his best friend, whoever, or just by himself, his shoulders are nice and relaxed. He's a broad-shouldered guy, but they're they're comfortable. When he talks to Columbo, they are up at his ears. Huh. Increasingly, hmm. as the episode goes on, when you watch it, when you, if you choose to rewatch it, and you go to the fireplace scene where Columbo's recording him, his, he you can almost not see his jawline because his shoulders are so high. Which is a an amazing idea to like bring to your performance is that the character is physically reacting to the stress brought on by one individual, and I think it helped raise the stakes on this episode. Yeah. So yeah, I, I that eight out of ten confusing <laughs> confusing pieces of movie trivia uh, is I think really well earned, almost entirely on the back of the performances. And I'm just looking at the. Uh story by credit on this episode uh, for Anthony Lawrence. He wrote four Elvis films. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, why not? You can always, certainly always see Always known how for was... their uh, experimental story <laughs> elements, I guess. I can't and, believe it wasn't like, this is the sleeping bag from Roustabout. And also um... uh, wrote, wrote an episode of the Marshall Warfield show, 1990. Sure, sure. Oh, I've forgotten there was a Marshall. I know, I did too. Wow. I'm looking at the credit, like, wait, what? Who was in that? Never even heard of this. Remember, I remember Steve, watching Night Court. Steve <laughs> Allen played himself in two episodes of it. What? The hell is Morton, this? Morton Downey Jr. was in two episodes of it. I think it was a variety show. No, it was a talk show she had. It was a variety oh, show or an acid trip. It's got to be one or the other. Marshall Warfield All right. had a talk show for 55 episodes from 1990 to 1991. How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. By what? By I what have no reckoning? idea. I, I, and I, everybody I, was on for two episodes. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> My 55 goodness. episodes of a talk show and you bring back half the guests a second time. Yes. What are they, us? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Steve Allen. She had Crystal Bernard on twice because you really got to dive into that career. But then also Morton Downey Jr. is on twice. So sure. This is so bizarre. All I right. Gotta, well, that's, well, that's what I'm looking for on YouTube when we're done here. Add that to the you list. Think entertainment of, uh, taken care of. All right. Nope. Uh, Glenn. Next podcast. So thanks wait, for wait, before you, wait, 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 wait. Why not? I was going to start uh, doing the, the. What? I know, but hold on just a second. Tom Lazarus, the other uh, the other writer, yes, wrote Mazes and Monsters. Oh God, oh. really? Oh dang! You would you have been upset if I hadn't told you that? You would have. It yeah, is, I guess so. Yeah, I, I, I I'm glad I'm glad we bought. Yeah, now ever, I'm just picturing very young, very crazy Tom Hanks. You ever? But you ever read the? Uh, <laughs> you ever read the book that's based on? No. Oh, no. it took place at the college I went to, Michigan State University. It's based on a true story, but very, very, very embellished. But the book is just this amazing thing by this very bombastic private investigator who is hired to find uh, this kid, this college kid who disappeared at Michigan State University. 
And uh, he got involved in, like, oh, going to the steam tunnels and the catacombs. But turns out, it didn't really have much to do with that at all. But just the way the book is written is just incredible. Because this guy thinks he is the greatest detective who has ever lived on the face of the earth. And it's... Uh, please... Oh, here we go. John, Phil, I've got to look for this. Wait, what am I doing? Uh, sing <laughs> something, right, I got, John. Uh, your victim, by the way, uh, was, uh, was one of the astronauts on It's About Time the television show about two astronauts who get trapped in the stone age on, unfortunately with, uh, imaging Coca and, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the guy from car 54. Which one? Fred Gwynn? Not Fred Gwynn. The other one, Joe, oh, Joe. Oh God. Tootie. I know. No. Tootie. Tootie. Yeah. That's Tootie and Muldoon. Gunther Tootie. So, yeah. It was Tootie. Tootie. Anyway. Yes. Keep <laughs> Wait, you remember we, Gunther Tootie we all know so what well. Gunther Tootie looks like. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Anyway, so I mean, yeah, the, the, best, the best sergeant from I think, uh, Sergeant I think Bilko, we may sure. have hit a yes. reference to every decade of sitcoms in this yeah, episode. <laughs> well, I, we've I had, do want we've had Wings, to... we've had Night Court, we've had uh, Car Fifty Four. <laughs> I really want to get RJ to uh, the next podcast to be reviewing all of Harry Dean Stanton's sitcom appearances. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of which, as far as I'm aware, there's only three, but still. Oh, sure. Um, William, okay, the book is called The Dungeon Master. All right. Uh, written by a detective named William Deere. But then, a novel was written by Rona Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters, based on the book by William Deere, which is based on a real case. So, she, so Rona Jaffe wrote a fictionalized novel based on a true story, and then a film was based on... Uh, yeah. But anyway, look for The Dungeon Master by William Deere. It's a, it's a crazy, strange, odd book, if you can out there. It's, it's, it's very strange. The Disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III. All so, yeah. right, the wow. third. Okay. Yeah, a esteemed alumnus of my school. Anyway, now we can get <laughs> to wrapping things up. Uh, Glenn, <laughs> tell folks about your thing. Tell every day above ground. Tell them about that. Where they can find sure. it. What they should do. Absolutely. the uh, The latest book. My latest book is called Every Day Above Ground. It's the third in um, my series of mystery thrillers. Yeah. Now I'm um, two behind. Can... I've read past crimes. I did not get to. I haven't gotten to Hard Cold Winter yet. So now I got to like. I got two books deep. I got to go. With hey, yeah, that uh, that puts you one ahead on many, many members of my family. So okay, don't, don't feel, well, feel ashamed. <laughs> so, so I, I, <laughs> people are never obligated. However, um, if you enjoy mystery thrillers, if you if you uh, if you like uh, action adventure and a good whodunit, I I think you'll enjoy the series. Uh, it's been well received. Um, available in bookstores and on all online lo uh, usual locations, and folks can find me. Uh, at my name, Glenn Eric Hamilton, uh, Glenn with one N, Eric with a K, dot com, or find me on Facebook or on Twitter at Glenn Eric H, and uh, join the cocktail party general conversation about the mystery loving community. And uh, I love to chat with folks online, so look me up. Uh, John, what do you have going on yes, these sir. days? Anything? Uh, I mean, we put it like that. Up? Okay, good. Yeah. You do have something. Oh, fuck, John. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got, uh, got the Halloween Slack comic guys. coming up soon. I think either by the time this podcast or the next podcast goes up, we'll have the website ready. You can start seeing previews. It's yeah. going to be a good one this year, as opposed to all the other years, which were terrible. <laughs> I was just going to say. Uh, no, <laughs> That's no, a weird way to put it. All the books. 
All the books are delightful, but it really yes. it's getting better every year, and it's really oh, good this year. Uh, and I think that's the only thing I've got going on, except a you know a ton of blog posts and such coming up on my publisher site, and mm-hmm. that's me, John Morris. Well, yeah, the publisher site for the, uh, the your book, the, re, the regrettable supervillains thing, that's still out there. It's still doing well. Mm-hmm. Still out there. Legion of Regrettable Supervillains. Yes. It was a. Uh, I think. I, I think I already said this. It was a best uh, and ABA bestseller for the month of June. Goodness. Excellent. And all oh, right. Nice. Yeah. Very pleased with that. Good. All right. Well, that's the program for this that's time it. around. Um, if you want to find other episodes of our show, if this you somehow stumbled upon this one out of nowhere, <laughs> uh, you can you can find other ones at jmtpodcast.com or look in the TV and film section of your favorite uh, podcast app. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at JMT Podcast, uh, where we uh, retweet other folks talking about Columbo, other things they found online, other things just here and there. And as John mentioned earlier, we have a Tumblr, which is also JMT Podcast, uh, where he posts screen grabs, further thoughts about the episodes, and also, again, other sort of ephemera, odd things that uh, John has found over the last few years or other people find, we like to repost that and respond to people. And speaking of responding to people, if you want to write into us, Columbo at the net is our email address. Uh, we like finding out what you think about these episodes. We like answering questions and what it might take a while. Cause we're, uh, well, I'm especially, I'm lazy, but uh, yeah, we definitely do. like getting, <laughs> We definitely do like getting correspondence from you, knowing that you're out there in the internet ether uh, that plus leaving the comments on the episode. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, so thanks for listening. Oh, and also the thing about the um, uh, the podcast apps, if you want to drop a comment or two, that's that's something, or a review, uh, we wouldn't mind that either, because that tends to help in the listings. Though that, I mean, we're not we're not selling ads, so I'm not sure what the... Eh, do it or don't. You're fine. Uh, just listen to it, enjoy it. We're happy with that, pretty much. By the way, this show is brought to you by Stamps.com. Stamps.com. <laughs> Use code JOMT. Just. I, got, I got like a stamps a stamps dot com uh, lined mattress from Casper. <laughs> I sit on that. I sit on that while eating my Blue Apron foods. Well, yeah, where are you supposed to go? Like it's uh, it's stamps dot com. It's audible dot com and yes. uh, uh, whatever that bespoke clothing company is. It just sends you a cardboard box full of nerd vests. Yes, <laughs> nerd vests. Nerd vests. <laughs> And, and weird plastic things with giant heads and the same eyes, no matter what goddamn fictional character it is. So, yeah, we got those. So, buy those, oh, everybody. Buy those, those nerds. Buy those nerds. <laughs> buy those nerds. And get a free copy of Mazes and Monsters by Rona Jeff. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. All right. All right. We, we joke. We make Funko Pops of the Mazes and Monsters cast. I'm on it. Yeah, actually, they would. Or Columbo ones. They probably do have Columbo ones. Uh, they probably do have Columbo ones. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, yeah. All right, let's jump this time around. I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. And we'll talk to you next time with, well, it's it's going to be a rough and surprising one. Yeah, it's a good one. We'll see. Can't wait. It's another it's one you haven't heard of in a long time. But yeah, there you go. All right, thanks, everybody. Good night. Good night. Listen, just one more thing. Kill! Kiss! Diamonds! Rubies! Sneakers! Terrific.